0: On this week's episode of The Picture of Wealth, Dustin sits down with successful entrepreneur Jeffrey McCallum to talk about wealth and lifestyle.
1: You know, I always knew that wealth, for example, could bring lifestyle.
0: What it means to show up for yourself.
1: But when you're starting a company, you better answer the phone, you better show up, you better be dressed to the nines.
2: And the importance of conversational
1: therapy. Conversation therapy is huge.
2: So make sure to tune in and catch all this and more. Start living more of your life now.
0: I am. uh, I'm excited to have you on the podcast today, Jeff. I really have been waiting for this for a long time. You and I have brainstormed uh, a lot about podcasts and the ideas, and and finally we're sitting here, gonna go on this journey. And you know, the thing that I find fascinating about your story is uh, well, first and foremost, thank you for coming on the show
1: today. Hey, hey, you're welcome. I'm, I'm enthusiastic, invigorated, all the above, man. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, I know that uh, there's there's a nugget or two for for somebody somewhere in this next hour. I don't know where it is, but I know we're going to have a number of them. And when I was thinking about this podcast before, you know, the term serial entrepreneur is thrown around, and you read books about it, and you hear videos. All oh, this person's on, but you really never know what these people get into. And and you know, just because someone starts five businesses, are they really successful? And you know what does that mean for their life and their family? So we're gonna go on a journey uh, to hear a little bit about your you know different ventures that you have and or had, and uh, you know more importantly what <laughs> what has got you excited right now? Like on your desk, and you know people might not be able to see this in the podcast, but it's uh, a collection of ideas and inspiration behind you that I can see. But what what's currently on your mind uh, at at your stage right now?
1: Wow, funny you say that. Uh, So, I try to explain to people Clubhouse, this new app. Okay, and they think I'm nuts. And a matter of fact, I just got back from the Vancouver Island for two weeks, and while I was there, I was attached to my app, so to speak. And with the Clubhouse app, if nobody knows what that is, is basically you know talking on stage on any niche you want. You can't see people, but it's international as well. You can't see people. But you go into these rooms, lounges, if, if you will, and you can speak on anything you want. And somebody's usually moderating. The one I picked was Our Mindset. U.S. Okay. and it's by Manny Fernandez. So I'm pumped. I've been in that thing for uh, last few about a month. It is. It's been a game changer for me.
0: Well, what are one. you getting out of it? Like uh, you're a student and you've taught and you've consumed multiple courses, but. What does Manny give you or what what is
1: well you know it's actually you know it's interesting i i've always been a type- i'm i'm a human resources guy first and foremost it always it felt like that for me it's like I'm not a technical guy you want something technical i'll I'll sub it out, but I know people i feel i know people you know when you walk into a room and you meet somebody you it's not that you're judging them, but you just know if they've got something going on or if they you know you know what it's like, networking. But I've always prided myself in conversation therapy. And what does that mean? Well, I need to talk it out. And I know a lot of entrepreneurs need to talk it out. Anytime I, you know, when I did a rotary speech once, I had a couple invites for lunch. And I was just always blown away at, you know, how candid these people were with their information after you just give a little speech on... I It was on bookkeeping, uh, accounting, and... Wealth manager, how they should all be talking. Similar to the situation I had with you and MBA, and you know, I love that whole. But it's conversation therapy is huge, and nobody, you can't, you know, drop five, ten, even two grand on a consultant when you're a small business owner or any entrepreneur. Some entrepreneurs, like I have a bit of a coach. I can get into that later, but uh, I never had that when I was, you know, taken off. So. Yeah,
0: you got this. This this clubhouse is uh, is cranking out info, and like you are somebody that consumes a lot of podcasts, reads a lot, you know, loves music. You're able to sort of take in a lot of information, um, and distill it. How are you? How do you distill down what the good stuff is, what stuff you want to use, and not, you know, not just sort of. Over-consuming just for consuming because yeah. you you do you know and we're going to talk about the businesses you built. You obviously pulled the right nuggets out to get to these businesses that have you know bought, sold, and you know parlayed to different things. So, is there a is there a process or is there a thought path or or just as natural?
1: Well, I I you know the more I'm on this clubhouse and meeting people, what I consider my tribe. The more I get on Clubhouse, the more I realize the people that are on these, uh, especially in our mindset app, you know, the more I meet these people, the more I realize that, yeah, there's everybody's there for a reason because they all have a burning desire. So me growing up was, I never was, not that I was never satisfied, but I guess I I was never satisfied, you know, when I worked up, I had, life was You know, I, I, my dad was Navy. He was a no-nonsense guy. Everything was black and white. I went up to Fort Nelson and I worked in a gas plant. I did not like any of that work. It was boring to me. Well, right, you know, you get and and then you're listening to half of the people talk about some of the uh, guys that didn't like their jobs, their their wives, their houses. Nothing. It's like that old. uh, I think it was Jim Rohn that said, you know, one day you wake up and you drive in the car, you don't want to drive. You're in the job you don't want to have. So I was lucky to sort of kick my own butt back then and say, um, I want to do something different. I mean, yeah. Anyway, this whole... um, The Burning Desire came early and I think the first book I read was Tony Robbins. No, it was Cassettes. There it is. (laughs) I'll
2: never forget that.
0: So now people know a little bit of
1: how old you are. So that's... uh... Yeah, Cassettes, right? (laughs) And, and and no kidding. And, and that was a game changer for me. It's like, oh, you can do this. As a matter of fact, when I left the North, I came to my brother's place in Penticton for just a three-month stint. And when I was there, he had a vision board on his fridge, him and his wife. And he gave me a book. It was uh, Wayne Dyer, Pulling Your Own Strings. Okay. And he had another one in there. And and that's kind of where that self-help, hey, you know, when you know inside, you've got this burning desire to do something big or You know, I always knew that wealth, for example, could bring lifestyle because you're fed that through TV and, you know, but then also that I don't know what it is. I think sometimes you're born with it, sometimes you're not. Like you get some people in the room of this uh, mindset room and and they're trying to figure out what is, you know, they want to be an entrepreneur. I think you can, I could study to play the cello and. Do my ten thousand hours and probably be a pretty good cello player, but am I going to really? Is it going to be my thing? What if the cello breaks once and I'm in the orchestra? Mm -hmm. You know, am I going to freak out? And right, whereas an entrepreneur, if you're not willing to get up at three in the morning and not willing, if you, you know, I always say you're not an entrepreneur until you try to make payroll in your head at three in the morning. Yeah, you know, and and, and it just swims, right? It just swims in your head, but
0: yeah. So you you've got this uh, this desire. Or something. And I, I think it's important to sort of back up that, you know, th- there was the carpet cleaning business. There was a book. I, I think only because m- i have just fresh off written a book. I, I want to hear the book story yeah. again, personally. So I, if anyone else the will book? put it on hold, but this is a good the book one.
1: story. The book story of, oh, of 101, <laughs> 101 Reasons, that one? I yeah. So what's out- the
0: title of the book that you wrote?
1: Okay. It's called, uh, it, I, uh, Bob Burnham and Jeff McCallum. And it would, uh, I co-wrote it with Bob. Uh, Bob, by the way, was a huge influence in my life. got to say that, uh, 101 reasons why you must write a book, how to make a six figure income by writing and publishing your own book. And this book came about from Bob and I. So When I got into a franchise in carpet cleaning in Victoria, the first year I was in Victoria, that's when I met Bob. I bought a franchise from. Started one year in there and moved to Summerland after one year of Victoria because my brother was into it in Kelowna as well. And in that time, we formed a relationship as franchisor franchisee, and as you know, some of the franchises um, uh, franchisees took off type of thing, and Bob sort of scaled it down because he was a, a advertising executive from Toronto who thought, you know, I'm going to put a carpet cleaning business together in the eighties when nobody had that business. Right. I mean, think about this. He said he had uh, locations in back in, I'll never forget this, like back in like Newfoundland or St. John's and the guy had five locations. Well, those were those like cleaning machines, bonnet cleaning machines. Right. He says in, in 86, he bought six of those truck mounts. Truck-mounted units, game changer. All of a sudden, you could do carpet cleaning for thirty-nine ninety-five, which they used to advertise back then, right? <laughs> so him and I, him and I, like just over the years. That was two thousand six. We wrote this book together. It took, you know, it wasn't just, hey, we're gonna write a book. It was in the nineties we got to know each other. So ninety-one, I moved to Summerland, started uh, carpet cleaning, did carpet cleaning for one year kind of two, and then got into the fire and flood restoration heavy. Mm. Why? Because that's where the, you know, that was niched. And that's where the money was. You got to follow the money, right? Uh, Carbon cleaning was good, but actually I'll never forget in Victoria. I was only there one year and that's when never forget this. That's uh, I was, I lived on the um, border of Richmond and Fowl Bay or Oak Bay and Foul Bay and Oak Bay of course is, you know, Uh, nicer area. It's the nicest part of Victoria. You've got the uplands and so forth, but it flooded. Not only did it flood that winter, it was the coldest winter for years. The GST, I'll never forget, GST was introduced and the Kuwait War started. I remember all these weird, you know, but why I bring that up was that was like, I saw all this water, all this flooding, and I had one call to extract a basement. And I thought, huh, this is pretty cool. Extracting you know, because I have a truck, well, well, I got on the phone and I phoned, I bet you a dozen property management companies. And I, I, back then I had the numeric pager. That was it. I think they were coming in with the alpha numeric, but that thing just, you know, it vibrated off the hook, if you will. And uh, I made more money that weekend extracting. I literally walked into these apartment buildings where they're, they're, it was pretty bad. Um, and here's another thing. My brother-in-law came to visit me that weekend. And he, out of my three or four brother-in-laws, I think three of them have done floods with me over the years. They just, they, they end up visiting me in the Okanagan and they end up on the job site, right? Yeah. But sure, that, I made more money that weekend. And I thought, wow, this is cool. And after the winter, I moved to Summerland. And then Bob and I, you know, we dabbled. It was actually went from success carpet cleaning to success restorations. And then we changed it to A first in the uh, phone book and back then the ah. yellow pages work. And then the B was for Burnham, right? So anyway, we cranked out the hits. I mean, hey, anytime I had a flat, I thought, wow, I get to eat again. But uh, from that, you know, what, what was really interesting is Bob is an avid reader and, and I'm, I'm, uh, I call myself an enthusiast about everything. You know, you yeah. want me to get enthusiastic about something, I'll do it because I'm just pumped, right? I, I read a lot of stuff as well. We did some mastermind calls. I'll never forget when we... I used to get up at five and hide in my solarium to make these mastermind calls with uh, a couple of guys in the US. And we actually found that mastermind through uh, Nightingale Conant. So have you heard about yes. Earl Nightingale?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Okay. He's like the first guy that ever sold platinum or something on vinyl of self-help. Matter of fact, I still have his cassette series here called Lead the Field. Unbelievable. If you've never heard Earl Nightingale, you better get on it. But anyway, um, yeah. From all that material and the masterminds and stuff, man, it just, we... I wasn't sure what other business did we do before that. Oh, we started dabbling. What happened was self-help, we ended up on a lot of different seminars in the US on marketing. And we were always like, Because when you read all these books, you're you're motivated. And and you're motivated to, you know, Bob had the, he was, Bob's always been an entrepreneur. So we're feeding off each other. Matter of fact, he could get a book. I could buy the same book. He'd have it done, you know, well in advance. I wouldn't even have to read the book because we would sit and talk about the book and he would pull the nuggets out. I mean, it's the same thing as I used to subscribe to Success Magazine. I still do. I get the magazine, but no CD in it okay back then you get a cd with a, and i I subscribed to book summaries with success magazine and i still have like i don't know you'd put a cd in it would summarize the book for you just think about most books there's great information in it and then there's fluff around it yeah and i I don't want to be little like you know my thought on robert kiyosaki his series and well his first stuff or even uh, David Chilton from Wealthy Barber. What was he all about? First thing that comes to your mind from David Chilton, Wealthy Barber, that book was saved. save 10%. And then the rest of the book is what? So we're thinking, huh. You know, and then we attempted, we went to so many different seminars too. I'll never forget. You get to these seminars and you see people get religion and they run to the back of the room, like literally gallop. Yeah. And they buy books, CDs and... And we're like, up for huh. courses,
0: the weekend retreat, all the stuff, you know? Yeah. So, and don't so you, in your book, you, you noticed a niche.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so that title, that's, where that's Well, we, we learned, what we learned along the way was we had gone to a few online, uh, not like seminars for online sales, right? So the guys like Russell Brunson, I don't know if you've heard of him you know, Alex Mandozian. These are people, these guys are all, you know, Frank Kern. Actually, I'll never forget Frank Kern. He, he was a Georgian boy. And he had cowboy boots and sideburns and everything. And, and he wrote a, a book called, I'll never forget this, uh, How to Teach a Parrot to Talk. And back then, you could search and optimize it. You, you, search engine optimization was a lot easier back then, right? And we were learning, you know, SEO stuff way back when. I'll never forget that he said he would he was telling us on stage how much you know he sold. Anyway, fast forward to Frank Kern now. He lives in La Jolla, drives Rolls-Royce's, and he figured it out. I think he had some tax problems, but that's another issue. Yeah, and so sorry I digress, but uh, there's so much in there, so many, there's so many gems in there. Like we probably put together, you know, 10, 15 different websites just to figure out search engine optimization. So between the SEO and learning online stuff, that's where the book came from. So the title "101 Reasons Why You Must Write a Book" was, you know, keyword driven, if you will. So this book was, and it's not even perfect. If you look at the editing, there's 107 reasons. By the way, there's six bonus,
2: and <laughs>
1: and then the last quarter of the book is like, you know, I I would I would compare the last part of the book to. Uh, Tim Ferriss' four-hour like a list, week. like a list, a list. You know where to go: book distributors, you know, pod printers, publishers. Um, anything like free? Now it's called freelance. I mean, I can look at some of the older stuff and I go, "Wow, the stuff." When, when was to... it written? Like the two thousand six, two thousand six. Yeah, and it so it took years to get there. It was sort of years in the making, and then we put another one out called uh, two thousand and twelve. And it was called Change One Belief. And by the way, that 101 Reasons, like, I'm not sure it is, 2006. So we, were we at John, no, we didn't go to John Asraf till 2008. But, you know, John Asraf from The Secret, yeah, we Secret, ended up going to yeah. his place. I went to his place for a business seminar. Okay. Hit this okay. story. This is interesting. Yeah. So we get there and and one of the guys that we had so met.
0: Back, the the backstory for anyone doesn't know the, the book The Secret came out in probably about that time, and it was uh
1: yeah it came out I, it it was earlier? after 08 it was after oh eight so
0: the 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 premise is you know if you want to set intention you want to make a million dollars write a check for a million dollars and put it on your ceiling so every night you lay in bed and look at it
1: and, yeah I got it uh, you got one I, of those I, I got to actually clean I got to re. I'm wrong on that timeline. You know what? No, it was 2004 because that was the year I went to Johns. Okay. That's right. So that and that was be, just before he did it. So I, anyway. Um, <laughs> okay, so tell going, us what.
0: So John Azerath and like yeah. So here was guy, he was a put game the changer. secret
1: together. Well, he was. It was interesting. So we had this. Uh, we had a book. It was August, I believe. And we go down there, and I thought it was a you know business center. So we get into his house, it's 30 people or something, 40, and that's going to be the setting for three days. So mm-hmm. we get there, and we're learning yoga and breathing techniques. Uh, and I'm like, huh, okay. We're going to be doing this, are we? And then he started getting into the mindset of business, and I thought, wow, I like this, right? And he had a speaker come in, and the speaker was Daniel. A- Daniel, amen? Amen mm-hmm. or... He's a guy on PBS that sells the books Change Your Brain, Change Your Life. Okay. Why? Because he's got brain scan clinics in California up the Pacific coast, right? Like Oregon and stuff. He's a fascinating guy. Like, what was his name again? Daniel yeah, Amen. Amen.
2: Okay.
1: Amen. Yeah. He's got the book Change Your Brain, Change Your Life. But he's got several books since then. But so we met him. He talked a lot about the brain and plasticity and you know, don't let your kids you know, hit it, hit their head with a soccer ball, that kind of stuff, right? Talks about it being a joke. But the whole thing was so Saturday, that Saturday night, after we let me back up a bit. So we're in this seminar and he's talking about, you know, um, mindset. And I thought, wow, I love this stuff. And I actually knew I was in the right, that was the first seminar that I'd gone to that really affected me. And I really, you know, after doing mastermind with these guys for about a year, we met one, one of the guys from New York, came as well and met us there. And he was this as-seen-on-TV guy. Like, he, he was one of the... He, that's, seriously. Because uh, uh, Night Gail Conan set it up. It was a lot of fun. So with uh, Johns, what blew me away was, you know, by the end of Saturday, I think it was Saturday, we ended up going to this beat-down La Jolla theater. I call it that because it seemed like an older theater. And we watched the movie, What the Bleak Do We Know?, and what yeah. the bleak do we know is I almost find it a little better than the secret because to see those both together would be good because the secret is really good. I mean, so yeah. anyway, but he really taught me about, I guess, quantum physics. And I was kind of, ah, I don't know if I, you know, you know, back then when you threw anything around like energy or. Universe, quantum physics, quant, yeah. Yeah. yeah pe- people think you're, you know, kooky, right? But I mean, really what they're talking about is the law of attraction. And of course, we know how that works. It's like, you know, i will never forget, I wanted to buy a red Intrepid, thinking that was going to be my business card. <laughs> and next thing you know, I'm looking at, you know, all week I see red Intrepids or I see Intrepids. And then, oh yeah, do you think that thing's going to be in my driveway by the end of the week? Yep. Yeah. Right? That's how it works, right? <laughs> and so so we went to the theater, saw that show. That blew me away. What the Bleeps, you know, it's kind of more of an animated how you know, mindset works. And I thought, wow, so that was a game changer for me that uh, uh, that seminar. I mean, John did a, a testimony for one of our books. So anyway, two years after that, we put 101 reasons why you must write a book. And I think as well, so John has a book called "Having It All." You know, okay. his story is... Anyway, I won't get into his story, but he... So what happened with the books? Yeah.
0: What did they sell or did they did you search engine, optimize it or...
1: What we did, what was fascinating about back then was Amazon was coming on, you know, Amazon, you put it on Amazon. This is a beautiful thing. Uh, ebooks were a big deal back then. They were just starting to come out. And from what I, what I remember is, um, well, the biggest thing with Amazon is you did not have to stockpile your basement with 2000 books, right? You know, you could order hundred books and they would stockpile like it, it. was perfect. Right. So it did well, the title, but what we did was we, you don't just put it on Amazon and go, okay, sit around and wait for it to sell. <laughs> you, you go out and you push it. So Bob did a lot of college courses and stuff down in Vancouver you know, this was a little bit later on, but one of the ways to push it was to, you know, teach people how to write and publish and so forth on a, what do you call those uh, college uh, night courses or whatever. Okay. And he he would funnel those. He couldn't sell, but he would funnel those into strategy sessions. Okay. And everyone was, some people want to write a book. Some people have a book already. They don't know what to do. Some people, you know, and it was only nonfiction we wanted because it was all dri- title driven, you know, Right. Be the, be the best or whatever. You have to be, you know, it has to, and it was just a bit, it's a business card for you. And that's yeah. what we recognize. So we took it. I remember being on one seminar in uh, Coquitlam. And I'll never forget seeing people light up when you're talking with them. You just see, you know, the, the aha moments for these people, just little things. It's even like, I'll just digress for a second into Clubhouse. One thing I do notice is what you, th- you know, things that you know from your experience in life. And when you're talking on stage in, in Clubhouse, for example, to you know, 130 people or whatever it is, you, you sort of undersell yourself a little bit because you think everybody knows what you know.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's not the case. You know more than you, you think. And it's kind of nice to share that. And I, I don't know why I brought that up. I guess, I guess it, when I, I, I guess the part where you know you see people in the audience go, hmm, "This is cool. I like this. I like that." You, you don't think you have that kind of power. In fact, you do. We won't get into the power of influence. Well, I, but anyway,
0: you got you got business leadership uh, all across yeah. your resume, and and people want to work with you, and so I'm I'm not surprised at at well, how that is. It feels. Um, yeah. Um, so, but but let me let me just
1: finish that one thing. That when I was in the seminar, okay, I'll never forget going out into the lobby, Bob and I, and people are in the classroom, and I was almost giddy because I was thinking, wow, this is all made up. We made this all up. This is all made up. Think about yeah. it. Did somebody tell you? that was there people there that were there naysayers? Oh yeah. I could never really talk to anyone back then about any of this stuff because they go, you what are you cuckoo? Yeah. Pretty nuts, just go, just go to work, feed your family. Well, I was, but anyway, right. just it's you know it is all made up, and that's so. Anyway, the book did really well, and and then the other one came out, two thousand twelve, change one belief, and
0: and uh, and all the while you were building uh, for the yellow pages, A B K uh, restoration. Well, which, which yeah,
1: A B K was always and fire, uh, fire like restoration. It would be, yeah. Fire and flood restoration. And it always... It was a vehicle for me. It always did well. It always... It grew. Every year it grew. And with that came... You know, as it got bigger, I was was wearing too many hats. You know, I was trying to be involved in this book business. And it was supposed to be a side thing. And Bob did a lot of the work in it because that was his full-time gig. And I was busy. This thing was off the rails busy. So... I needed, you know, a level of management. I suppose, and my second oldest son, Jeffrey, came in after five years business school, and he jumped in and never looked back. He helped me. I mean, I probably would have quit the business ten years ago if it wasn't for my kids. Yeah, Byron. You know, yeah, there's
0: there's two places I, I go there, but I, I think you bring yeah. up uh, a good segue to something. So. Uh, I, I know both of you, uh, your kids uh, and and then your other kids as well. So uh, yeah. we're all about you know that thirty to forty five years old and uh, hard charging. You know business minded grow. You know you you know think about back to you when you were thirty five, and then you know kind of live the two lives of you live now. Um, you know now being out of the business and then you you're know, the hard charging then and realizing because our. You know, some of the listeners are doing well financially. Their businesses are successful. And so that's that's happening. It isn't like people are living startup zone, although some people are, but they are saying, Hey, is this it? Like I'm I'm making good money, but I've used always revenue as my marker. And it's you know, it's at the sacrifice of family, and you know, I gotta work tonight because I gotta work weekends and I gotta increase, but really. As someone who's older than than me or or you know most of the audience, what what does older Jeff you know, say to, to to the younger folk? But so I'm taking a long time to ask the question, but I want to set it up right because I don't get the impression that you've just given up everything and said, Oh, lucky I didn't burn out, and you've retired because you haven't. But how do you maintain that drive, but then realize you need balance and then find peace in laying off the gas or a different gas pedal? Does that kind of make sense?
1: Yeah, I, 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 there's a couple of things in there. It's like, first of all, what do you say to the younger crowd or even to my age back then? It's um, Boy, that's a tough one because I can't say... live you know, don't use me as an example. Because when I was building ABK, I was ferociously into this other stuff, thinking there was bigger, better, stronger, faster. I'm always thinking that, right? Yeah. Hence the book business. And then there was the the franchise company that Bob and I, you know, carpet cleaning and painting franchise business we put together. You know, that's actually... So it doesn't... Yeah. So the 30-year-olds, like, you know, I, I will say, though, is a lot of people don't stay at one thing long enough. That's the problem. Like sometimes, if you know, or I, 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 I'll say this lightly, but you know, you got to do your passion. But you, that's not always going to work, man. Forget <laughs> your passion. Yeah. No, I'm serious. Thank if you, I don't, I don't know the situation you're in. But if you got kids, hunker down, make the money, and then do your side hustle. Don't even really like that word side hustle, but it's out there. It's a good book, by the way. Side hustle. Get you well, thinking. Well,
0: trying to. It's trying to distill down. When you get a family, you've been grooming and and wired your brain a certain way. And a family introduces a whole new set of parameters and deep social pressure of what's important on the ladder. And, you know, some people would argue you need to put food on the table. So that's the highest priority. Other people would say family first. So, you know, well, if you're family first and you got no income, then that doesn't work either. So, you know, I, I do see with 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 a number of the older you know clients that I do have, uh, I do see situations where, you know they've got you know five, you know four million dollars in the bank, they're sixty four and they got absolute dog shit relationships with their adult children because they never they never sort of paid attention. So then the question is, you know, well, what if you only had two point five million in the bank? which was enough to sustain you for the rest of your life and serve out your lifestyle. But then you could have you know, taken the odd Saturday off. You know, it, and it, it's, there's no way to know factually if that's right or wrong. But what would... You, again, I, I love asking older people with a bit more wisdom and a little bit more battle scars. You know, am I that naive to think
1: like that? Well, actually, you know, it's interesting too. I was thinking of times have changed to a degree. Everything has become much more expensive and you need two incomes. Mm-hmm. You know? So, you know, for m- most couples, it's pretty tough to see everybody out there. You know, some, some of the employees, I'll use those or even my kids to find, you know, to get a place. It's tough. My boys mm-hmm. have done, you know, everyone my my kids have all done well. Timing was everything. Just like, so back then, it was a little bit easier to make money. But, you know, I was lucky enough that I was always into balance, and I always preached that to myself. Balance, balance. You know, I probably could have, you know, i just say shut it down. But whoa, I'm 59, so I'm not shutting it down. Anyway, <laughs> I, I guess the big thing is I always spent time with them. You know, so example, I'd get home six seven. I would make sure that I tuck the kids in, read them a book, and spend time on the weekends. Right. I would play cars with the boys. I was always there, and then I'd do pay, You know, I'd do phone calls till 10, I always say to my wife, you think I should phone anyone after 10, you know? And then, (laughs) and between 10 and 12 and one, I would do paperwork. I learned how to do the books and the books were by, you know, so I, you know, it all depends on your drive, man. And I don't know, like, I think you, you're born with a drive or you're not born. You, you're born with, there's so much in there. Like, if you're like, like I was saying on Clubhouse, you get the people that want to be entrepreneurs or they're not sure they're an entrepreneur. They don't have, you know, you can sort of tell the ones that aren't entrepreneurs because they talk like they just read a book. Whereas mm-hmm. you need to have that sort of, you got to learn, sell, like, like learn something, put it into action, learn something, put it into action. I'm lucky that, listen, I, it just, and I don't know if, all the books that I've read and the mindset that I've constantly had, but I know one thing and uh, I don't get caught in negative thought traps. You know, I, you always, I always have a blind spot. I'm looking at it's not that blind spot is I'm aware of what I'm saying to people when I'm around them. I want the best for them. I, I have the best of intention and I exude that. I like to think that I'm in a grocery store. How are you today? I'm perfect. They don't even know how to respond to that,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it's not a. It's not a. It was. It started, I suppose, as a fake until you make it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm just trying to. I'm trying to dissect a little bit of my success, and I I know for a fact that when you put out the best, you get the best in every situation. And one of the quotes I live by is, uh, "Would you rather be right or successful?" And yeah, and really what valuable. I would. Right, and yeah. and you can and you look at that. It's like how many people do you know want to draw the line in the sand when they're talking to you? It's a waste mm-hmm. of time. And then of course, yeah. I say this quote, and then I'm on the traffic. I'm on traffic coming from Vancouver the other day, ready to, you know, <laughs> you know, yeah, I'd rather be right. I'd rather be ahead of you. But anyway, <laughs> you know, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. it, so it's not, I'm not perfect, but I just know that all this information and all the great people that have been in my like Bob and I would take a book, chew them up. We'd go to these seminars and. Subconsciously, as absorbing all this stuff all the time, positive stuff. Do I, you know, I, yeah, I I watch the news. People go, don't watch the news. I watch international news. I love BBC and is it Algeria? I, Algeria? Zero? Yeah. Okay. Why? Because it gives you a bigger picture of what's out right. there. And even Clubhouse, I've noticed, man, I'm getting educated on uh, African politics some of these guys that come on want to run for president mm-hmm. these people that are on clubhouse are you know guys that have made it they're wealthy and they their mindsets are completely you know so anyway man i don't know where i'm going with that but no, I just uh, i'm that... gonna
0: bring i'm gonna bring you back to uh the lifestyle that you have and you know, I want to zero in on ABK and Norhaz, yeah. which were your two primary businesses at the, the kind of latest part of your your life, and those were two you know successful things. And I think we kind of got now a great foundation of why they were successful. Um, but all that positivity, like when when you coach other leaders or for some business owners that that I coach, I'll say to them, you know, yeah, maybe you don't have. You know, tons of money in the bank, but at the same time, you got a great cash generating business. So instead of maybe making you know or saving two hundred thousand at the end of the year, maybe you could save one hundred and fifty left in your company at the end and pay an extra fifty for a new staff member or incentivize three managers to become up to the next level and take you know maybe take Friday off. And you know the the pushback that I get is like, oh, well, you know how would that look? You know, restoration is not a blue collar business, but it's also not a white collar. So I would love to know how you put systems in place, or what systems you put in place to keep the ship going profitably, to allow you to do other endeavors and hang out with your wife Julie and 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 your kids and and help them with their businesses, uh, <laughs> or or work with them so they could help you with yours.
1: But yeah, I, I, you get yeah. where I'm going. Yeah, I, I, I totally get it. And I, I think back while you're talking about this, I think back, wow, you know, you as an entrepreneur, you're wearing several hats. So in the fire and flood restoration insurance industry, you're always thinking 12 steps ahead. So for example, Mrs. Jones has a flood. You're six steps ahead of her, six steps ahead of the adjuster. You're always thinking, what's next? What's next? What's next? That mindset has always helped me, and plus, I don't obsess on certain things. And one thing I obsess on is, you know, this is, you know, if somebody phones my company, it better be a human that answers it. They better answer it right away because if I miss one job, it's thousands of dollars, not just you know trinket money, right? Mm -hmm. And that helped me a lot. Uniforms helped me a lot. You know, Mm. I always wanted this. You know, we've all read the book "The E Myth" by Michael Gerber. Yep. and if you get what I know now about business in terms of limited companies and trust and all that, when you know it, when you look at forget all that—that that comes later. But when you're starting a company, you better answer the phone. You better show up. You better be dressed to the nines so that people cannot give you—you know—can't judge you. They're going to judge you. They're going to go, "Wow, that guy's," you know. Um, you know, back to when. You know, the juggling of hats. It, I'll never forget my first employee. Miles Maletto, first guy. And I thought, wow, this guy can help me out. You get the hoses out of the truck. Awesome. And then it went to two trucks. And then when I bought, you know, I'll never forget Bob and Russ. Uh, we got this cube van with 12 fans in it and some dehumidifiers and a red toolbox. The red toolbox, <laughs> by the way, the red toolbox was actually a carpet repair because I had taken carpet uh, stretching and, and carpet repair course. I'll never forget driving that cube van around going, people say, Jeff, you busy? I go, oh, yeah. Meanwhile, all the equipment's still in the back of the truck. <laughs> but, but regardless, getting... So moving along here with, with, you know, so when you get a taste of employees, and I've always been a people person. You know, I owned a taxi when I was young and like 18 or or No, jeez, I was 22 or something. I was trying my hand at everything. And when I bought that taxi, I noticed you pick up people that are uh, downtrodden, for example, or they're drunk because you're taking people to the bar, whatever. And you had to talk at them, couldn't talk with them. That's kind of where it all started. I've always been a conversationalist like my dad, right? And I know for a fact that um, definitely, you know, one employee to the next, to the next, to the next. I know that Hours and hours of talking to people like employees. Hours. How are you today? How are you doing? What can I do to help you? You know, let's move ahead. And when you mentioned money, I'm fast forwarding this a little bit. Anytime I could sort of reinvest, I would. You know, yeah, I bought a a couple nice things along the way, but always reinvest. For example, why wouldn't I buy three more fans? D hums. Every time a Mm -hmm. piece of equipment went out, I jumped for joy. You know, when you have hundreds of pieces of equipment out there and you're making you know, 25 up to 120. That's pretty cool, right? Mm -hmm. Those are little ATMs. And if you don't figure that out, you know, and you're right about it not being blue or white collar. It is the weirdest business on the planet because you're dealing with planes are rolling in every day and they're traumatized people. You know, Mm -hmm. that training that we used to do with the people is, you know, stand three feet back from the door, you know, ask to park in the driveway. And they're just like, yeah, you can park in the driveway, but that perception stuff, and that's where the uniforms came in. But anyhow, that's once I got my a taste question, of, my, my yeah, once I
0: circle back,
1: I'm gonna, I'm gonna. So once I got a taste of employee, employees, what they could do to help the company, it just took off from there. Then I could focus on things like, okay, we, I remember we had a goal once, so twenty thousand a week, you know, or yeah, twenty thousand a week. And now if I did that, the place would be shut down, and that's going <laughs> to be a couple hundred, right? But I'll never forget that when when Lindsay and I sat down and we were going to do this. And and it's you're hanging on by the, you know, on a thread sometimes because the bank's going, you know, when you have insurance uh, receivables, they're not paying you. They'll pay you when they're good and ready. Uh And the bank's like, well, I don't know if we can extend it, Jeff. You know, your line of credit because I got people that, you know, I have subtrades to pay and so forth, right? Anyway, I'm telling you, man, once you get It took years to get there, and knowing what I know now, you could do it a lot faster. But it depends on what the business is, you know.
0: Yeah, you know, there still was an element of leverage. uh, Oh yeah, keeping the employees happy to then help you again. You mentioned the epiphany moment you had, where it was like, "I need." I'm going to burn out, and most entrepreneurs can live in what we call the burn zone for longer than the average person. That's what makes them, you know, successful. But if not tended to, can be some major mental health issues in the future.
1: Yeah, I believe like I was kidding when I said, you know, half kidding. Well, let me just say something. When I remember, you know, when, when I went to Europe on a holiday um, for a long time, it was like three weeks, a month or something. I realized that, wow, you know, it's all come together. And I can actually be away and not have to worry. Mm-hmm. And even then, if a couple of trips where I take two weeks to Mexico or whatever, I would think, wow, this is pretty cool. You get a little taste of freedom lifestyle. You you start to understand. So you work harder at putting those that infrastructure in place. You know, and, and you don't you're not always gonna have the, enough people either, because you can't have, you know, somebody that's an estimator when you're a smaller company, for example, they they have to wear three hats. Because you, right. to have everyone for every department, you go broke. But uh, yeah, no, I man, I'll tell you that is is that's part of leadership, isn't it? Hanging out with the right people and being open to criticism and being open to new ideas and not, you know, it's. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm known for, you know, walking into the shop. It's got to be clean and tight, and you know, trucks have got to be so. You wore your uniform, this kind of stuff, right? <laughs> I'm known for harping, but I'm also known for I'm approachable. About yeah. you know any time that's huge, and I know that that was part of my success. And then you're right about the burnout factor. You know, you when uh, Jeffrey came in to the company, we had talked a lot when he was in university, and it was really good that he could come back to this hometown and he met a local gal, and he's he, it's worked out for him. You know, he's got a great lifestyle now because. Uh, He also invested uh, in Norhas with us, you know, Mm -hmm. that company. And so when the company sold, he was also part of that. Now he is actually head of Norhas, vice president, which is interesting because he was running ABK for all those years. (laughs) But, you know, know, the burnout thing for me was, you're absolutely right about that. Like even owning the companies and worrying about the companies. um, I knew that like, God, last year, or year before, we needed another level of executive. We just needed it. That was the whole idea behind the reason to sell is because you can't stop a good thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you got to recognize, and, and I was getting a little bit like I, I was, was literally doing nothing in the company except maybe putting out the odd fire and doing wow. marketing stuff. Right. And you just, yeah, it just worked out. Oh, by the way, Byron got involved. And I, I think that... Which is your other side. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a little guilty bringing Byron in because um, I'll never forget he you know, worked at the Diamond Mine there and got a lot of great experience and came to Summerland. And I remember sitting down having a coffee with him or whatever. And we started talking about separating the asbestos removal from restoration. Because that... you have to, You want to talk about a difficult business. I mean yeah that is okay, so what we did is we sat down, he did the logo out. We were sitting there writing the logo out, and so we had this i i I wanted him involved somehow, and i if i if he was going to get involved, he'd have to have a taste of something, so it tasted the new company, so four of us owned the company it was myself, Dean Ganey, Byron, and Jeff, and it more than quadrupled the size in the last five six years right. and I'm actually still laughing to this day because Byron did it all on Gmail and Google Drive. But anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, no, it, 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 and I, if I didn't have that support from my kids, and then I think now it's like all the time that I put into them and stuff, I'll never forget. They would sit by my desk with a, you know, a briefcase and do fake paperwork. Yeah, and they always, they always knew as young kids. Was, yeah, as young or, kids. Yeah, yeah, as young kids. And I was always on the phone too. That was one thing my daughter. Anyway, yeah always
0: on the phone, dad, right? Yeah. Well, I I share a similar story as a 12-year-old stuffing envelopes. One of my jobs was uh, our family friend was a stockbroker. And uh, so I would stuff mailers that she was doing. And I would... At the end of my two hours after school, I would take her card and I would use like the old whiteout that was paint. And I would white out her name on her business card and put my own. <laughs> so oh my god! Yeah. I wish I could find one of those because I'm sure it's in some box somewhere. But uh, pretty, pretty funny yeah. of the influences you get. And you brought that up of we are, you know, the sum total of whatever book wrote about it. The, the the five closest things around us, you know, influence us, and that can be, you know, from from our friends and our friends' income brackets to what they talk about to ex spouses, spouses. Um, you know, there's a, this is probably a good time to talk about the the the. Spousal influence awareness concept. And I don't know if you ever read the, the happiness equation, but Neil Pastricha talks about if you think of like an axis across the top. So, how happy are you, Jeff? Well, you say, roughly 80% of the time I'm happy. And so, you know, it's like 10%, 20%, 30%. And so you're 80% happy. And then you say, you know, your wife's Julie. So, how happy is she? And so 10%, 20%. And that's going down the y axis. So for anyone listening, I am making some hand gestures. It's not going to make sense. So your happiness across the top, Julie's going up and down. And she's happy yeah, roughly 80% of the time. Well, When you draw a line across, that means that 80% for you and 80% for her, that 64% of the time, you and Julie are both in sort of a positive mindset. And when people talk about debating financial decisions, and they're like, man, we can never come to an agreement. Well, it probably is that you're in the 32% of no man's land you Know that one person's happy and one's not, so you know, you know, there's, there's all this. You know, I'm, I'm tangenting, like I'm taking somebody a chapter to your book, but of yeah. the influences and, and the news, and uh, making sure that you're putting the right mind nourishment around you that's in line with your goals. So, if you're gonna fitness goals, bathe in that sort of you know, you know, mindset, and if it's financial, then you're you know, doing it uh, as well. But, well, I got. Okay, go ahead. I got
1: one question. Well, when you say fitness, you know, it's like and it's something you said earlier on at the very beginning you're talking about, you know, I have a uh, I'm young at heart and I truly believe that I think that when I said balance in my life, you know, when you're thinking about health and you're reading books on health and you're practicing good health practices, you realize you're into health. And that, and you you know what I mean? Like it, it's like you care about your 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 body because I'll tell you one thing: you only have health and relationships when you start getting to this age. Because having stuff, having money, and buying stuff is fine. When I bought that Mercedes and BMW, I thought, wow, this is great, you know. But it's not. It, it's, it's not you. It's not. Well, it's it, not it, what you. Well, for. actually, don't get me wrong. I'd love to buy a, new, a brand new BMW, but I got that five <laughs> series. I'm pretty happy. I saw a guy with an Audi eight yesterday. I was like, hmm. He goes, are too light though, Jeff. I go, hmm, okay. But the yeah. thing is, happiness uh, is
0: easier to see in a convertible.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when they say try not smiling on a jet ski, but um, right? You know, you know, uh, what was I going to say about that? Damn um, <laughs> well, nice stuff. And uh, well, no, yeah, the the health thing for me is like I I think that when I say balance, it's like you know, you, you to prepare yourself for you know i ran into a guy yesterday we're looking at some real estate and i know this guy and i know the business that he was in and he's selling the buildings because not 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 the business and he's not healthy he's 76 he's not healthy and it's because of that business i know it and um chemicals and stuff not just you know the the stress and i think to myself you know you, you While it's all business, it's all lifestyle as well. You got to look at that, right? So, I don't know. At 59, physically, I'm in good shape and I'm lucky that keeps young. I I just had to put that out there because I think it's, you know, you can chase dollars all you want. You you can, what do they call it? Once you have your creature comforts down, you're good to go, so to speak. You know, don't chase the dollar at any cost. That's all I say. I could have kept the business and, and said, uh, well, I have this legacy thing going on. Well, I don't. It was a vehicle for my kids to grow to who they are, and then and then I see the grandkids how they're being brought up. We have seven, and it's like it's it's that's cool, that's glorious. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry.
0: No, well, I I've, so now you give me a third question, but that's fine. We will uh, we're just going to make it work. So, okay. when is the right time to sell a business? Is uh, a question I get and work. Through the emotional side, again, we've got tax accountants and all the people to to figure the numbers out. But it usually isn't the numbers that's the biggest issue. It's it's when the market knocks at your door and says, you know, here's an opportunity, and you know, maybe you know, and divulge as much as you want. But at the same time, s- some business owners have trouble getting their heads around that isn't my plan. My, you know, and I'm. Theorizing that your, you know, Jeff's plan was to retire and sell at 65. I don't know what it was, but it's, you know, that scenario. But also now you hear are and you know, if it was in the last year, you're at a certain age and it's like, well, someone's knocking. I've got it. Do do you change your plan? Do you pivot? Or was it just crystal clear that, you know, you, you know, you saw a better opportunity for
2: more than just yourself with with the the, the transition.
1: Interesting you say that, you know, never had to sort of really think about it or answer it, but I think it was definitely time for me physically, mentally, because one foot in the business and one out, I mean, the thing ran on its own. But, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, somebody said to me once, well, Jeff, why wouldn't you just keep it then? Why wouldn't you just let it keep riding, paying you, you know, money every month or whatever? And I'm like, Because if you're going to do something, I want—I almost compartmentalize. I'm going to do something. I'm going to be in all. Yeah. I always felt like I had to be on, because I was still doing a little bit of marketing and stuff. And so three years ago, it was three, four years ago. Somebody asked, "Jeffrey, interested in selling?" And at the time, no. I said, "No,
2: not even close to it." I no.
1: I said, "No," and it took a few other people to ask. And I think the biggest thing for me was you just know, you know, when you're burnt out with that it's, and I didn't, I wasn't hanging on. Listen, I I had a little bit of post traumatic. It's my baby. (laughs) You know, I had a little of that and I miss my, my employees. I I do miss that. But then I, I did. It it just had its run. I mean, 30 years of doing that business is a massive grind. And I, I, and I know that if I would have kept my foot into it, and even when I sold, I said, look, I don't want to do any earn out anything for myself. I'm out. Mm-hmm. I want out because I am going to, I want to shut it off because otherwise, well, then you can't get on with something else. You got to close yeah. that off. It's like a log jam, right? And so uh, I don't know if that answers it or not. No, it it totally answers just, it. It's gut yeah. instinct. You you do know physically and mentally where if you're done with something, you, you got to move on and and create. You got to get out of there, you know? Yeah. I was I'm I'm and now that I'm seven eight months here, uh, yeah. Plus, I was really happy that it went to a, you know, that Canstar bought it because they were like us. They same companies. They're in Vancouver. We just added to their, you know, they opened up some other locations. At the same time, it was a good fit. And yeah. actually, here's a good sort of, you know, we always look at, you know the the dream of business. When you have a niche product, it goes, you know, you can make money with it for a long time. And then other people get into it, right? And then all of a sudden, it's everyone's into re- restoration. Nobody even knew what that was in the 90s. Right. Like, it was a carpet cleaner extracting water, and then builders, what, what are we talking about here, right? <laughs> so then, and that's the same thing with the asbestos. Then asbestos came along, and we had to test for asbestos in every house 10 years ago or whatever. That became a new business. Right. So, Two waves I rode and the asbestos is still, I feel like that company or that type of business has be, become even more niche because work safe and environmental people are clamping more and more down on it. Right. And, it, and again, it's the old who, you know, when you have specialized knowledge, you have specialized knowledge that's worth something. Right? Yeah. So I rode those two waves as lucky uh, to, to get out when I did I'm not lucky, I could have kept it going. Now, I mean, listen. There's forest fires everywhere. Yeah, you you could be renting air scrubbers out right now at some crazy price. But, um, yeah, no, I I just knew when to get out, and it feels really good seven months later. And it takes a while to go. Huh. Well, congratulations.
0: That's uh, yeah. Again, not uh, something that happened overnight, and I know there was a few sleepless no. nights. So, uh, congratulations yeah. on sort of getting there. And final question that I ask everybody is. What is
2: your ultimate picture of wealth?
1: The ultimate picture of wealth for me and something I think I've been working on all my life is when I say balance, I have balance.
2: Mm -hmm. I have four
1: healthy kids that are successful. I have seven grandchildren. I have I live in the best place in the world I consider Canada and the Okanagan to be the best place in the world even though and you know I have a loving wife we have a great family like our our kids are we just have this great thing going for mm-hmm. me like I say health and relationships so it's great to have old friends that I've lived in this community for 30 years. You know, sometimes when I walk downtown, I don't want to because it's a small town, Summerland. How are you doing, Jeff? I don't have time to talk to you. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I'm just being facetious, but yeah, no, I mean that for me is like, and 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 now I'm like, even when I, you know, I don't think I'm done. So it's not. Life starts at fifty nine. Yeah, I'm telling you, I'm feeling it. Like uh, I don't know why, but one thing I did learn is I, I. was talking a lot about getting into mentoring and then i'm like i don't really want to go down the path again of being in the minouche of not helping people but i would rather talk at them listen it's easier to do it it's easier to be like a tony robbins on the stage and tell people how it is and then let them figure it out as they walk away in a nice way because not everybody is going to hear you or listen to you they're going to get their own religion as it were so Anyway, a little more than the answer you needed, but
0: no, no. I th- I think it, it's it's a great point in that you got to inspire and and show some sort of valid reason that something is is a certain way or could be a certain way, and then people need to choose that and use their own imagination. And I think in today's society we take everything so freaking literal. That yeah, you know, oh, if I read Steve Jobs' book biography, well, I'm going to be Steve Jobs, and mm-hmm. you're doing everything Steve Jobs said in his book, but yet. It's not happening, and we've we've gone away from it. And you know, we've got everything at our fingertips. From you want to change your spark plugs in your car to whatever on on the computer, you don't need to think. You don't need to have the yeah. courage to stick your neck out to yourself, not even to anybody else. So, I really appreciate what we chatted about, Jeff. And I, I think there's. I know I learned a lot. Got a little bit of notes, and uh, you know, we could. I'm sure once I listen to this again, we'll have a couple sub pods that we could uh, riff off into. Yeah. But uh, is yeah, there yeah. anything else that you want to teach, share before you uh, we sign off this morning?
1: Yeah, you know, I just think don't hold. You know, you said something there. It's like don't take things literal. Don't hang on so tight. Mm-hmm. People hang on way too tight. It's like you're. That was a good example you used of reading a book, and then I'm going to be. wise and it working for me? Well. <laughs> You know, if you think about the template that you were brought up with your parents, whether you're religious or not, I mean, think about religion. Won't get into that. But all these templates were given all our life. We packed that around. Somebody said the other day that you act, you, how you were at five years old is how you sort of present yourself in the world as an adult. So Mm -hmm. what I say is, is don't hang on too tight. Love yourself. People are too critical of themselves let yourself do a few little risky things and if and if risk isn't your gig then don't do it mm-hmm. the, you know I, I wish sometimes i didn't have this burning desire to do things sometimes i wish i could just work for the man you know play ball on the weekend you know that kind of thing i'm just not that guy i, w- I always thought what's wrong with me but you know <laughs> best advice is like let it go let it flow a bit man like we're all in this together and if and if we haven't learned anything from covid I mean, we, you know, it makes you realize how close we really all are around the planet. After that COVID, oh, yeah. I call the the reset. I'm sure other people have coined that as well. But then, you know, um, we're all in this together. No one gets out alive. Type thing. And <laughs> yeah, and it, and I'll, and, it, and it, I'll say one thing: you read a book, you're not happy with it, put it down. You read an audio, listen to an audio book, not ha- put it down. It'll come back to you someday.
0: Yeah, you know, you. I I love that. Uh... That analogy, because
1: feed your brain with the right stuff, right? Like hang out with the right people. Don't let people rip you down. I listen to so many people that lose their confidence. You know, they get slapped once and then they remember that slap forever. Mm-hmm. Let it go. We got. There's no time for that. Jeez. you get to 59. I'm I'm not that old. You know, yeah. compared to some people. But I I'm lucky at 59. Geez, I I hear some people talk like me at 30, and I'm like, wow, dude, you've got this. Dialed in. What are you going to do the rest of your life? Sit on an orange mat? Anyway, (laughs) nice talking to you, and hey, you were part of my success too. Uh, uh, We'll forget that. I uh, I appreciate
0: uh, your words, Jeff, and uh, and your trust. And I will look forward to the next podcast. Thank you.
1: Perfect, man. Thanks again.
0: If you found this episode valuable, share it with a friend. If you found this episode super valuable leave us a review on iTunes. It will help us continue to bring you top quality content. For more information on anything discussed on this show, visit www.servicewealth.com. That's service spelled S-E-R-V-I-S-S. Any investment topics covered on the show are not investment recommendations, and you should seek professional advice before making any investment decisions. This show was produced by Podigy Podcasts.
2: Thanks for listening.